technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up. I think that the telcos and the network equipment operators have a super opportunity here, especially with 5G, which can be used many more places, which is going to add millions, if not billions of new consumers into the network. We have a real opportunity here to figure out how do they become part and parcel of a new ecosystem? And I think, how do they become an orchestrator of certain ecosystems? And you got to do that business by business. You got to look at the outcomes, not just thinking, where am I moving data to and from? What is the outcome I'm producing? You're listening to The Future with Mick podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Consultant EY says it's a mistake to assume we can get back to business as usual. As COVID-19 drives up demand for mobile broadband, telecom providers, which were never built to address the needs of enterprise, are finding religion in the need to abandon the traditional business model. EY's global leader for tech, media, and telco, Craig Kudahe, tells me the future is unpredictable, and it's just one of the biggest challenges facing the industry today. But if the telecom sector can adopt a sense, respond, and adapt approach to leveraging 5G, the future may not be predictable, but it will be brighter. And there's just no question that uh, the business as usual is going to business beyond usual out of this pandemic. But honestly, these were issues before the pandemic. And frankly, the pandemic has just accelerated the level of change around these issues. So the digital changes have always been coming. It's just the pandemic has really emphasized them heavily across the globe. So in order to become more than just a connectivity provider, telecom companies need to rethink their approach to enterprises. That's right. And in fact, it's, it's sort of a perfect storm. You've got this level of volatility that is not just around things like the pandemic, but it's also economic geopolitical uncertainty. We've always had these things, but the advent of technology means the speed at which these things happen is unprecedented. And so when you get down to things, you take the volatility, you take the shifting digital workforce, you take the economic impacts of not being a technology leader in terms of the application of technology in your business, you become a laggard. So if you take all these together, business as usual is, is gone, and it's really business unusual at this point. Hmm. It is fascinating to me to see the evolution of thinking within the telecommunications industry. What role does 5G play in helping move an entire industry that was never built for anything other than being a dumb pipe into a new era? Yeah, I, I like the way you say that um, in terms of the, you know not being built to provide these other things that are definitely part of the future. In fact, one could say that being a dumb pipe provider is going to be an existential issue for companies uh, in the telco industry. In fact, it's why you see some of the major tech companies investing in telcos, because the notion of intelligent connectivity is the merger of tech and telco. And maybe I should say communications more broadly, because it's not just traditional telcos, cable companies as well, and other other, uh, providers of communication services. And really what's happened is uh, with the cloud, Today, most people don't realize that the cloud is where your voice is going. The difference between voice and data is minimal, if any. And what you've got right now is this notion that that data that is in that pipe 
has a tremendous ability to be monetized on the positive side. Most of these companies are not set up to figure out how do they monetize the data that's flowing through all their different pipes. But the, the flip side of it is if you're not adding value to that data, if you're not, uh, for example, doing what we call cloud edge, if you're not finding out where decisions should be made because there's an optimal place to make some decisions, operational decisions need to be made closer to the point of contact, whereas large strategic decisions need to be made more at the center. Right now, there's no one really determining where's the optimal place to do those. The telcos are in a great position having that pipe, but until they add in things like uh, I, uh, IoT, uh, RPA, AI in there, and actually become a participant in generating that value, they're actually in a bit of trouble because uh, just scale alone and cost minimization are not going to be the winner at the end of the day. So then what are the biggest challenges as 5G opens up these new doors? Is it the siloed nature of the industry or is it more of a culture that was never built for this in the first place? That's a really good question as well. I think if I look at the three that you kick things off with, I'll, I'll resequence them a little bit. I think the first one is the fact that so many companies are still relying on traditional forecasting and planning to save the day. Well, nobody forecasts this pandemic uh, you know, far enough out to really see what the impact would be on business. Although something like it was quite predictable, the specifics weren't. So looking at traditional forecasting and planning, that there's gonna be some magic improvement in forecasting that suddenly these problems go away, it's not gonna happen. And it, I mentioned those volatility factors earlier. The fact is the change in business, the change in economies, all those things are happening faster than they ever have. And right now, they're not going to be this slow in the future. So it's going to be faster and faster and faster. So the mathematics, this is purely mathematical, that it's a mathematical certainty that as the volatility increases, predictability decreases. Therefore, it's got to be first this focus on adaptiveness. The second thing is that uh, when we talk about traditional business models, I, I look at this, a lot of companies we see today are really working hard. I mean, look how successful some have moved in the market in terms of shifting to this environment. But in many cases, they're putting what I would call a digital veneer on top of a traditional model, as opposed to really saying, how can I fundamentally redesign my business with the use of digital? And I do think that's a cultural thing. So there's just no question when we look at our clients, uh, those that are really moving ahead fast, the limitations are not the technology. They're not the business processes. They're not the management science. It's actually the culture and willingness to go into uh, you know, outside of comfort zone, I guess is the way I would say it, is to take these risks because they may seem risky now, but honestly, five years down the road, if you can't have what we call an adaptive digital enterprise, it'll be an existential moment again. And then the third piece that I focus on is what you also talked about is the silos piece. We are not in an era where vertical integration can work anymore. There may be a few companies that are big enough that can stay vertically integrated for a while, but even those underneath the surface are becoming what I would call an ecosystem orchestrator, as opposed to somebody who's managing an entire value chain that they can control. And your point on culture is spot on. All of those are addressable, but it's a tone at the top as well as the right people at the bottom and middle to work together with partners in an ecosystem type of thinking to really change how the industry works. 
As someone whose day job it is to to think about the future and where we may be going, I'm fascinated by your statement that businesses are trying to predict the future in an unpredictable market. And you you registered that as either a mistake or a challenge. Which is it? And, And I can't imagine a business analyst walking into the boss's office at a telco saying, listen, I know it's my job to figure out where we're going and what's next, but trust me, we can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, first time I've heard that, right? And uh, I I think, let me try and dimensionalize this and really bring it to life. You know, many people, even a few months out from the pandemic, forecast things like healthcare needs, they did strategic planning, et cetera. But if you were doing a plan two years ago, even if you forecast a pandemic and you had a heavy warehousing network, manufacturing network, the, the design for your network at $60 to $100 oil is a very different network than $20 to $40 oil. And what happens now is a lot of people did not think about how there's going to be an absolute crush on transport, how oil prices were going to go. At some point, futures were negative, if you recall that. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to, to forecast that specific price of oil. What is important in an adaptive enterprise is for the analysts to go ahead and do sort of these clouds of prediction, okay? And say, where is our operating model capable of what bandwidth, for in this example, of oil price? Can I continue to flex my model? But then you have to have contingency planning, real contingency planning outside of that, and the operations to support to move quickly around those contingencies to say, okay, if oil drops to 20, what can I take advantage of? If oil goes to 120, what can I actually do to mitigate the impacts on my bottle, bottom line? And I use oil as an example. It's not necessarily a high-tech example. It does impact high-tech. But that's one of the most studied commodities in the world. There's teams all over the world predicting the price of that. If they can't get one commodity right, how can you possibly expect to get everything from gold prices to geopolitical issues predicted You've got to create a planning and forecasting organization that's not looking for a better algorithm, but is looking to work with the rest of the organization to say, how do we go ahead and make our operations more flexible to what our business is sensitive to? And ultimately, the intent here is to ensure that you have either incremental revenue streams coming in the door at a telecommunications company or opening up whole new doors to revenue that you never thought was possible before. So EY is describing this as an adaptive digital enterprise. That's right. And in fact, if we continue on from your previous question, if you think about what network equipment providers like Nokia are supporting is is the telcos themselves, but they're also going with the enterprises themselves. I think some of the uh, advanced thinking telcos are looking at this notion of adaptiveness. We actually trotch these sort of into those who are really looking at adaptiveness and designing the future with their base. I'm talking about telcos now designing the future with their whole extended value chain. Uh, there's those who are the scale players who are trying to drive down costs, drive down costs, drive down costs. And then there's sort of the, the small, smaller, scrappy companies that are looking, how do they go ahead and partner to achieve scale? And if you look at those who are working with their value chain to become more of an ecosystem partner, this is a real opportunity for telcos because they actually control that pipe. Without the telcos, you can argue there's some substitutes, but they're not of significance right now. But without the telcos, that information that feeds AI, I mean, where is it going to come from? 
that information goes to the cloud. Where is it going to come from? It's ultimately the telcos that are in the middle here. And if you're an adaptive telco, you don't only really look at it to say, okay, how do I minimize my costs in an unpredictable environment? You look at it and say, okay, there may be some happy accidents out there that we can actually see if my company can move fast enough, I can capitalize, like you said, on new revenue stream opportunities. The pandemic is a perfect example of this, is this whole notion of a distributed workforce. Yes, there was theory around that over the last 10 years. Yes, people have had programs in place. But honestly, until the pandemic came and you were forced to figure out how do you take, especially you know, knowledge workers, how do, if they can't meet in the office anymore, uh, if they've got to work from their home, if they've got to work from somewhere else, how do I actually make this ability for the workforce to be distributed without predicting where they're going to be? And we got to see a lot of that in the last six months of tremendous changes in operating model really fast. But a lot of it was band-aids. I think that the telcos and the network equipment operators have a, a super opportunity here, especially with 5G, which can be used many more places, which is going to add millions, if not billions of new consumers into the network, have a real opportunity here to figure out how do they become part and parcel of a new ecosystem? And I think, how do they become an orchestrator of certain ecosystems? And you got to do that business by business. You got to look at the outcomes, not just thinking, where am I moving data to and from? What is the outcome I'm producing? If culture is the big challenge because it's an industry that built vertical silos that were independent of each other for so long and never really thought beyond uh, the connectivity of ones and zeros over the air, how does a CSP become part and parcel and orchestrator of ecosystems if that internal culture was never built for it? Does this require a CSP to turn to outside knowledge if there is no institutional knowledge within the organization? Yeah, uh, it's a, an awesome question. Um, and frankly, if you go back to what I'm saying about uh, the technology itself not being a limitation, I think you've hit the nail on the head here, is, uh, you know, particularly organizations that are engineering-led, and I'm an engineer myself by training, is uh, you tend to look at how do I maximize the performance of the technology? And uh, then you've got the sales community who's looking for how do I convert the next sale? And the thing where they can meet together is understanding, and this is where industry specificity is really important inside of telcos and related providers. So if I'm just moving data, okay, I care about bits and bytes, I care about all that engineering optimization, et cetera, that is not going to actually let me get into new revenue streams most times. They may get a new product, but what customers and clients are looking for is solutions, outcomes. So the technology is necessary, but not sufficient. And how you apply that, the use cases, as they call them, of the tech is really important. We see a number of our clients who were completely engineering-led now restructuring themselves to be industry-led, especially on their enterprise side. And what you get there is you get a very different understanding of what the outcomes are and therefore how you apply the technology. For example, the decision-making on if I'm using a 5G application within a manufacturing location and I've got to go ahead and make line-level real-time decisions, well, that intelligence, in many cases artificial intelligence, has to be placed right at the edge. 
Whereas if I'm doing uh, things like uh, navigating ships uh, based on threats throughout the globe, that moves at a slower pace. You can have that done through the cloud with the decisioning being remote. But if you see what I'm saying, this is where there's a culture change with a shift to thinking about outcomes instead of just outright pure technology performance or even you know cost per transaction type of things. So you write that the industry needs to adopt a sense, respond, and adapt approach. And if I break those three elements down, it strikes me that sense would largely be the responsibility of those engineers of which you speak. Respond would most likely be that sales team and that strategy team. But what about the adapt element? That strikes me that that's a corner office issue. That's exactly right. Now, I think you're using this sort of, I think we talk about uh, sense, respond, and adapt in two ways. The strategic way that you're talking about it, which I'll address in a second, but also operationally or tactically is really live within your operations. You have to do both. And that comes back to the corner office point you've made. Um, you know, all the clients that we work with have exceptional engineers. It's not a challenge of that. Um, and our, the sales forces are increasingly being shifted away from just, um, you know, more things like licensing or hardware sales to actually long-term relationship metrics, which kind of reinforce this. But you're right, that adaptiveness thing is you have to actually look at, at take the entire company that you've got, but also your trading partners that you work with, suppliers and customers, and figure out, if you remember what I was talking about in sensitivity analysis, what is your business most sensitive to? And that takes a lot of work. Uh, it's a different kind of planning. It's not even strategic planning. What it is is it's continuous testing and simulation of scenarios. Scenario planning, which is a corner, active, a corner office activity, as you mentioned, scenario planning now becomes mission critical. And if you have the proper set of portfolio of, of scenarios, then you start looking at, okay, where there's these unexpected events or even these expected events, but you don't know when they're gonna happen. What am I doing? Which parts of my operation need to be a little bit more expensive, but more flexible? It's manufacturing, it could be sales, it could be things like software development. Do I have teams that are gonna go ahead and be paid or do I use outside resources to develop changes to my software quickly for something that I hadn't anticipated? In many of our clients, their traditional internal software development capability works to a regular clock speed. It has releases, it has things like that. But in an adaptive enterprise, what you've really got is the ability to say, hey, wait a minute, I know this was on the plan, but here's either the opportunity or the threat that really reschedules our release cycle, reschedules the focus of our resources. All of that comes from culture, as you've mentioned, but also what I'd call is the, uh, a different kind of planning organization that really now converts those that need for adaptiveness into operational decisions, long-term and near-term. We've spoken so much about the enterprise side of this equation and, and reasonably so too, because unlike you know 2G and 3G and 4G, which were, I believe, largely consumer-based consumption uh, vehicles, 5G is going to be very much an enterprise-driven technology. They will be the biggest consumers of this technology. But what of the consumer side? One in four American households say they're considering a 5G connection. Your EY digital home study found that one third of American households have concerns about their current home internet service. How is this an opportunity for a 5G provider when we typically got our internet service through a cable or a telephone line? 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack in that question, both sides of it, the enterprise piece. You're right. There's definitely going to be a huge benefit on the enterprise side. I think, uh, I think the, the telcos themselves and the network equipment providers understand that. Um, but I think the broader populace just thinks 5G is, I'm going to get my movies on my mobile phone faster. Um, what I think is happening and what you just mentioned, the study that we did on the consumer end is a lot of consumers thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to get my uh, uh, Netflix or whatever faster. But what they didn't think about was, hey, my home is now my workplace and it actually interferes with my ability to do my job if my service isn't reliable. I think this is a really good point about the ubiquity, of, the potential ubiquity of 5G is that I can now, as a distributed workforce participant, be using it that way. But you'll, one of the things that I've heard from some of my colleagues is when they're working at home, um, the reliability of their network cr- connection is critical as they still have, due to the pandemic, family members playing uh, you know, high bandwidth uh, usage video games at the same time. So I think what you have now with 5G is the potential to be um, much more flexible to the needs and that you can continue that consumer experience on any device in any location. And I think that's an upside. Now, many of the telcos are still just figuring out how to get more bandwidth for that and how to uh, drive the the price point down because it's very much a price war in many markets. Not all, but almost the majority of markets are, it's really a price war. If you start looking at some of the players who are now adding value-add services on that, where the margins are exceptionally high, even though the price point to a user is modest, um, I think that layering on is a real challenge for the telcos to be part of that. The cable companies have done that for a time. I think it's still the telcos that are emerging to find out what value-add services can they give to the consumer that allow them to be provide a part, portfolio of, of offerings that are much more profitable. As I look through your study, one in four American households say they're considering a 5G connection. What does that 24% figure tell you about education and awareness of such a foundational and transformational technology? Yeah, I think it's interesting. 24% is, is good. I think it's going to get much, much bigger. Um, it used to be early adopters. Uh, it depends on what study you want to look like. Look at, excuse me, we're 2 to 10% of any consumer base. And still the 24% would be considered something of an early adopter. So it's a big number from that perspective. But when you think about the fact of where the enterprise side meets the consumer side, take things like in-home healthcare. You've seen an explosion of video platforms um, that are now being used at home for work, but also you're seeing telehealth come into the home. Well, people were very uncomfortable. If you look at surveys a year ago, the idea of seeing your doctor over the phone a year ago, video phone, uh, was anathema to most people. Now you find out there's been almost forced trial and people now are actually excited that they don't have to go to the doctor's office, that they can not have to worry about the parking garage. They don't have to worry about the commute. They don't have to worry about sitting in a room with others and they don't have to worry about sitting for the wait. So I I think what you're going to find is that 24% grows as the consumer Um, public service and enterprise thing all becomes closer and closer and closer. This is a real opportunity for telcos. You're going to find other things. We mentioned the work environment. Uh, You're going to find other things that come into the home. And I still think that's a huge opportunity for 5G because when you add 5G, you're not tethered to your house. So you can start 
a particular experience, video games is an obvious one today, that's at the home. You can go drive off in the backseat of someone's car and continue that experience. You can't do that with a landline. You can't do that with cable. So I do think it's this connection, this intersection, this convergence of uh, business, public, and consumer all into one. It's a real opportunity for the telco ecosystem. So let's come full circle then with EY recommending businesses judge every investment through the lens of how it can drive and leverage a digital ecosystem. As a longtime business reporter, it blows my mind that you feel the need to say those words in that order. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because I think you're really close to it. But the fact is, most of us are caught up in our day-to-day. In fact, I was involved in a study many years ago that looked at uh, the willingness to spend by, at that time, CIOs, but also CTOs, um, was less about the health of their business or the known opportunities than the performance of their personal stock portfolio. And, and I think that psychology plays out into what you just asked, is it's intellectually obvious to those who are reasonably close to this, maybe not the consumer side, but the business side, that these things are somewhat truisms that everybody knows you have to go to. Converting that into action, whole different thing. You have to convince a bunch of players to get these things done. You have to create that uh, you know, ubiquitous burning platform notion to get people to actually move. It comes back to your culture points. And until you get hit with what we've been hit now in the last six months, uh, it doesn't become clear that now's the time you've got to move. Everybody knows you have to move, but until something that's as you know, uh, all-encompassing as the impact of the pandemic on almost every part of life, you didn't get a, a burning platform that everyone felt. Parts of organizations felt it, Lots of organizations saw it, but actually moving, it took this event here. There's a lot of people who talk about, you know, the pandemic's moved digital forward more than any corporate program in the last 10 years ever has. And I think that's true. And so, well, it may blow your mind that we have to say it. Right now, what you have is the other extreme. Everybody wants to do something, but they're not exactly sure what to go do sustainable. And that's why we come back with this notion of adaptive digital enterprise. Everybody knows you need to be more flexible, but how do you actually do that in a way that is measured and creates a sustainable long-term organization that can move, can change partners, can change customer bases relatively quickly. And actually turning that into action is quite difficult, but it's necessary. It's an existential decision that you've got to do those kind of things the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas all by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.